Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the third day of December, 2022. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and let's start off our look back at what was going on in this uh, week of frauds and frauds exposed with uh, one of the latest. This came out on Friday morning from Zero Hedge about the so-called payrolls report, and it says something is rigged. Hey, there's a shocker. A superficial take, they begin at today's jobs report, would note that both jobs and earnings blew past expectations, low as they were, flying in the face of Fed rate hikes. And while the headline at least is more or less accurate, they say it couldn't be further from the truth if one actually does something that the waste stream never does, and that's dig a bit deeper into the so-called job numbers. Recall they begin that back in August, September, and October, we showed a stark divergence that had opened between the household and establishment surveys that comprised the monthly jobs report. And since March, the former has been stagnant, while the latter has been rising every single month. In addition to that, full-time jobs have been plunging. While part-time jobs were surging, hey, you know what that means, and the number of multiple job holders, and that seems to be related, soared. Fast forward to today, when the inconsistencies not only continue to grow, but have become downright grotesque. Well, for example, they say, consider the following. The closely followed establishment survey came in above expectations, 263,000. That's above the 200,000 expected. And it's a record seventh consecutive beat of the expectations, down modestly from last month's revised upward 284K. Numbers that confirm something unusual. At a time when virtually every major tech company is announcing massive layoffs, the Bureau of Lying Statistics has a single laser focused political agenda. Hey, you want to take a guess at what it is? Not to spoil the political climate at a time when Democrats just finished rigging an election, lost control of the House anyway. They were expected to lose it massively, of course, as somehow both construction and manufacturing managed to add jobs, according to the BLS, when now even the ADP report says that when you combine those two sectors, they shed more than 100,000 workers in November. And ultimately, they say, there's only so much the Department of Labor can hide under the rug. Because when you look at the aforementioned gap between the household and establishment surveys, as we've been pounding on the table since summer, it just blew out to a whopping 401,000 as a result of the so-called increase of 263,000 in the number of non-farm payrolls tracked by the household survey, offset by a perplexing plunge in the number of people actually employed, which tumbled by 130. Furthermore, they add, and they show the chart, since March, the number of employed workers has declined four of the last eight months, while the much more gamed non-farm payrolls, which is the one that people pay attention to, has been up every single month. Even more perplexing, they continue, is that despite the continued rise in non-farm payrolls, the household survey continues to telegraph growing weakness. As of the end of November, that gap that opened back in March has since grown to a whopping 2.7 million so-called workers. They have to put that in quotes because where are they? They may or may not actually exist anywhere besides on the spreadsheet model of some Bureau of Lying Statistics political activists. In fact, one look at the chart below, which you can't see but I'll mention, confirms all one needs to know about the so-called data integrity of the Bureau of Lying Statistics. 
basically jobs since March of this year in thousands. The establishment survey, almost 2.7 million. The household survey, uh, 12. Put another way, they note, there were about 158 million and a half so-called employed workers in March of 2022. And the 158,470,000 in November, this last one, is an increase of just 12,000 jobs over a full eight months, a period in which the number of claimed payrolls supposedly increased by 2.7 million. Put another way, they say, this isn't the first time the apolitical, yeah, sure, Bureau of Lying Statistics has pulled such a bizarre divergence. It happened right after Obama's re-election, and then again it happened right before Hitler's 100% guaranteed, yeah, sure, election, because one wouldn't want a soft economy to make it even more obvious what they were trying to do. And the rest of the relatively lengthy article here goes on to pick more holes in the bogus data. But the bottom line? It's a fraud, like just about everything else you can see not only in the economy, but in most of the rigged world today. So let's cut to the chase. Besides the obvious, why cover this up? The simple answer, says Zero Hedge, as shocking as this may sound, there's been no change in the number of people actually employed over the past eight months. But due to the deterioration in the economy, in other words, as we shift into being a third world nation, folks, more people are losing their higher paying full time jobs and switching into much lower paying benefit free part time jobs or in a lot of cases, many of them which also forces many to work more than one job, of course, a rotation which picked up in earnest sometime back in March and which has only been captured on the household survey, not the more rigged establishment survey. Meanwhile, that one continues to plow on with their politically motivated approximations, seasonal adjustments, and other labor market goal-seeking, and that's a polite way to put it, lies is a more blunt way, meant to uh, make the Biden regime look good and provide the Fed with ammo to keep rates high up until they completely destroy what's left of the economy and force even more real layoffs, which, unfortunately, the Bureau of Lying Statistics doesn't capture because of, well, political reasons. Now, here your cynical host will add one more thing, certainly important to keep in mind over coming months. A lot of these people that had higher-paying jobs, they've had to take the poison poke, and that means they're pretty much, whether they know it yet or not, dead men or dead women walking already. And as a number of people having jobs disappear because they're dead, too, it'll be interesting to see how they goal-seek that. But honestly, folks, we already have quite a few clues now, don't we? Meanwhile, they note, the American public is beginning to realize they've been had. The labor market is now crashing in addition to the continued surge in inflation. And as Bank of America's Michael Hartnett put it, unemployment in the year 2023 will be as shocking to the Main Street consumer as inflation was in 22. Let's go next to the other big continuing fraud this week. From Maricopa County, Arizona, the world's new poster boy for fraudulent elections, well, at least outside of Brazil and South America, where the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors met and basically said, the hell with all of you stupid voters out there who thought what you did at the polls actually made a difference. Literally everything about this election stinks to high heaven. Sure, a huge fraction of the voting machines were on the blink on Election Day, but mostly in areas that were expected to go real hard for Kerry Lake. And no doubt about it, no way an honest board of supervisors would get anywhere near certifying this slime. But you already knew we could care less about that. We're going to go ahead and certify this undisputed fraud anyway. And they did. They had to go through the motions first, though, and pretend to listen to people that were upset about the fraud being slammed down their throats. And here's what several of them said to the board of crime supervisors. First, as Carrie Lake herself noted, a great summary of the crime from a reporter in the area. 
I typically don't speak at these. I represent uh, folks. I have an organization called Frontline America, and I also represent a media outlet, Real America's Voice News. We were denied entry along with my colleague, Jordan Conradson, to the election office, uh, and I figured this was an appropriate time to redress my grievance. I spend most of my time on the southern border exposing the invasion that's going on down there, especially here in Arizona and what's coming into our country. The biggest concern I have is if this election is certified, the only parties that will benefit from this are the cartels. Uh, They've taken over Mexico, and sadly they've taken over many politicians in America. What we saw on Election Day was outrageous, and to say that it was anything but that is uh, either you think we're stupid or you're just that arrogant. Uh, what we've seen from you in the election office and your response, very simple questions needed to be asked. 2020 was a disaster. How was 2022 worse? You cannot say that you can certify an election when half of the voting machines were down. Was it a 1,000 people that were disenfranchised? Was it 10,000 of the people that were there in line or the people that didn't show up because they saw in the news the election machines didn't work? The fact that you've already made up your minds, you've already made the decision. This is, this is all semantics. All of us coming up here and speaking is semantics. You've already made your vote. You've already made this decision. You said the world is watching and you're right. They're watching and they're watching this disaster play out in front of them. You responded to the AG with the most most pathetic, inept response I've ever seen. You have not redressed the grievances of these people. That is the question. And the answer that I hear from everyone across this room is, you cannot certify. So the question is, what is the remedy? The fact that you were on a pack that was going against Kerry Lake, as well as Richer, going against Kerry Lake, how can you say that there's no conflict of interest? You have a Secretary of State running against a gubernatorial candidate. How can you say there's no conflict of interest? And then your machines go down on Election Day. It is absolutely outrageous. If you certify today, the only thing you'll be certifying is your corruption. Thank you again. This fellow was not as polite. Slave. That's what I am to this system to your corruption. This is outrageous. This is a national crisis. And you're giving people two minutes to address a national crisis. And the way that you guys can just sit there, it's disgusting. Watching you pledge allegiance to my flag was disgusting, the way that you sold us out. You said you don't have the statutory authority to do anything. You're going to take a yes-no vote. What does that tell us? Yes or no. If it's just yes, then why are you here? Why are you here then? You have discretion. And when you certify something, you're saying that it's trustworthy. There's nothing trustworthy about this. This is theater. It's optics. I was a longtime prosecutor. I went after drug traffickers. This is vote trafficking at its finest. I've seen the criminal element. You are vote traffickers. You are vote traffickers. Criminal. What are you going to do about it? You've sold us out. You've sold us out. You've sold us out. So we're not here to be civil. You're worried about language? We're worried about our voices being stolen and never getting a fair election again. That's what we're worried about. So a curse upon you, a curse upon all of you, you smug, smug people. Eventually they buzzered him. He kept on going a bit. Am I bothering you? Because this election bothered me, and you're doing nothing about it. I don't care about that stupid buzzer. This is sickening. You have the power, 
as the chairperson to enlarge the time limits and actually hear your constituents instead of putting a muzzle on them. Thank you. Your time is up. And that, at least, is certainly true for more than just Arizona, folks. There were at least a couple of counties nationwide, Cochise County in Arizona and Luzerne County in Pennsylvania, that both decided not to certify the fraud. And in Mojave County, Arizona, there was at least one honest member, the chairman of the Board of Supervisors there, even if he doesn't have any backbone, who said he had no choice but to vote aye on the fraudulent certification, quote, or I will be arrested and charged with a felony, unquote. There's a message there, too. And we need to follow that up with what happened midweek. Yeah, they're literally rubbing people's noses in it. In Arizona, the so-called Secretary of State, and uh, yeah, can you believe this, lying governor-elect Katie Hobbs has now sued one of the few counties in the entire state with the integrity to say, hey, you can't just steal an election and expect us to certify it. Anyway, she's suing Cochise County for failure to certify the rigged election that she unabashedly, in your face, rubbing your nose in it, stole from people that were silly enough to think that there was going to be an election, especially in Arizona. Now, why do I say that? Because most of the Republicans were told to show up on Election Day, and, of course, that made it even easier to uh, rub people's noses in it. Between at least 30 and maybe, according to some sources, up to 70% of the so-called voting machines, yeah, sure, in Maricopa County, failed one way or another, or in some cases all of the above, on Election Day. Not only leaving people standing in line for long times, trying to resubmit ballots over and over again, or putting them in the round file when they finally gave up, It was a stinking mess, folks, and Maricopa County has basically said we could care less about the law, we could certainly care less about fairness or honesty or transparency or any of those other outmoded concepts. We got an election to rig, we got a communist revolution to continue here, so they voted the other day to say the hell with the law and certify it anyway. In Cochise County, the supervisors there voted two to one, I guess one of them caved, to delay the certification of the rigged 2020 midterm elections. This from Jim Hoft in the Gateway pundit. Mojave County also decided to call a recess on their meeting and reconvene later to weigh the options on certification of the obviously corrupt election and the decision as to whether or not to uh, disenfranchise all the other counties that don't have the integrity to say no. Here's one more bit of information from the Gateway Pundits article. The Secretary of State, sick Katie Hobbs, who hid out during the campaign, he notes, and refused to even debate Carrie Lake, because why bother? We know how the votes are going to come out, scored a so-called surprise victory after day after day after day of counting, or at least moving around the ballots. Democrats had only 17% of Election Day voters, but somehow Hobbs managed to win over half of all the Election Day votes following that infamous weekend re-rigging process. It was a miracle. Who could have thought it? Answer, anybody that knows how they roll. Anyway, now, says the Gateway Pundit, on Monday evening, Katie Hobbs, oh yeah, she's a convicted racist too, sued Cochise County for failure to cave and certify the utterly in-your-face fraudulent results. Because while we ignore the statutes with impunity when it comes to outright fraud, hey, there's a statutory deadline here, and we've delayed things long enough that now we're going to stick you with that. I started to say that this reminds me a bit of the way communist China treats dissidents, right? They arrest them, then execute them, then build the surviving family for the bullets. How dare you resist what we intend to do to you? 
But it occurred to me, no, really, a better analogy is what we've seen so much of late when it comes to certification of, uh, well, test results that never actually happened. And the few that did happen, we, of course, had to lie about and then tried to cover up for 75 years. But, oops, some of that keeps slipping out. And people keep dying suddenly with no uh, reasonable explanation. Well, permissible explanation, anyway. But it's not just tests that have to be rigged to give the only permissible results. Don't forget those all-important emergency use authorizations that need to be made permanent so that we can mandate people to take the Zyklon B poison injection. And then there's the FDA, knowing darn well that it was going to kill a whole bunch of kids, kept saying, we want to kill them sooner and sooner, all the way down to six months, or now they're even talking about killing them in utero. They're obviously really jonesing for dead babies anyway. But we've seen this pattern before, and it keeps repeating. If you don't vote to certify it, whether it's a bogus test or a bogus election, first we'll get rid of you, we'll force you out, and then if necessary, we'll destroy your life. Sue you, take away your medical licenses or other professional licenses, and just basically make your life a living hell. I want you to rest well, and a month from now, this Hollywood Big Shot's going to give you what you want. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Think about it, folks. Election results, test results, who cares? Those were all certified, too, and ultimately by the very same kind of people. Power-mad, tyrannical dictator types, or at least people who serve the same satanic, demonic master. Well, okay, then. An exercise for the reader, or in this case, the listener. Can you guess how all this came out before the week was even over? Oh, yeah, you can. A so-called judge in Arizona has now ruled, Judge Casey McGinley, that the County Board of Supervisors... What do they supervise? Evidently not much by daring not to certify something in a slam dunk, had, quote, exceeded its lawful authority. Whoa, 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 time out, time out. Think about that for just a second. Have you ever even considered that a judge might exceed his lawful authority? Well, not if they're doing the right thing so far as the deep state is concerned. Who are they kidding? Lawful has nothing to do with it. There's no limit to their authority when it comes to showing the peons who's boss. Hell, why doesn't Judge McGinley just declare himself governor? Maybe dictator of the universe while he's at it. Answer, because he's a puppet. He's just doing what he's told. Anyway, here's the so-called court decision, insulting to the intelligence of anybody with half a brain as it is, by not certifying the election results on time, bogus as they obviously were, the Board of County Supervisors, sick, needed to be made an example of. And he ordered the board to hold an emergency meeting by the end of the day. Oh, and guess what? They had better vote right or else. And surprise, 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 like good little marionettes, they caved and certified it anyway. Makes you wonder why we even bother anymore, for the entire stinking, corrupt, feeded system is so obviously rigged with certifying or testing anything, folks. They know the right answer long before you're even allowed to hear the question. Oh, yeah, and all those other counties that thought election integrity or transparency still mattered, they've caved too. Here's a headline that I can put on my Karnak hat and look ahead to, oh, sometime well before the rigged 2024 election. We'll see if the Babylon Bee gets it out before then, too. A Soros-appointed federal judge ruled today that there's no point in even holding a 2024 election. The Fuhrer of the Fourth Reich will be declared dictator for life. Und. Both houses will be ruled by the Communist Chinese Party. I'm sorry, the American Communist Party from this day forward. And if you don't like it, all your central bank digital currency U.S. fiat bucks will go to zero, and you'll be forced to take a Zyklon B penalty poke. From there, let's go right to Communist China. And no, it's not that big of a leap. Where massive protests have erupted after the, uh, I'll call it this, an execution of a whole lot of people in an apartment complex. 
Because what else? They were under lockdown. And although the CCP denies it, it looks like the lockdown agents decided not to let firefighters and fire equipment fight the blaze. Maybe they'd just rather have people die. Said Zero Hedge's summary coverage, protests have erupted even in Beijing after spreading from the far western Xinjiang region over the COVID-1984 lockdowns and, most recently, a deadly fire Thursday in a high-rise apartment building in Urumqi that killed at least 10 people. Some say the number is as high as 40, and it looks like they may have been locked into the building and prevented from escape. Have we ever heard anything like that before? After, as one local report says, firefighters and fire engineers were stopped from coming inside the block. Other reports say things like, people are really fed up. And according to an early Saturday news conference by room key officials, COVID lockdown measures did not hamper their escape. <laughs> no, don't you worry your pretty little heads about that. But, says Zero Hedge, Chinese socialist media, in spite of the censorship, wasn't buying that at all. Reuters says another part of the piece did verify that the footage from the fire within the lockdown was published from Urumqi, where many of its 4 million residents have been under some form or other of the country's longest lockdowns and barred from leaving their homes for as long as 100 days. A lot of folks seem to think that means even if they're on fire. A social media comment from a Beijing resident said, The Urumqi fire got everyone in the country upset. Evidently, because more and more of them believe, yeah, that really could happen here. The residents caught wind of increased lockdown, says another part of the Reuters story, after seeing workers putting barriers on their gates. That tragedy could have happened to any of us, said one. And it's the coverage of the story, or the lack thereof in some cases, and the spreading protests that are also becoming part of the meta-story here. Some are now suggesting that these are the largest protests in China in about 70 years, or since the Mao Zedong regime. CNBC's coverage is typical of what looks like the Ministry of Truth angle. Rare protests, says their summary, broke out across China over the weekend as groups of people vented their frustration over the zero-COVID policy. But the unrest came as infections surged. Oh, really? Or are they just bogus tests? Anyway, all of this prompted more local COVID controls, they say, while a central government policy change earlier this month had raised hopes of a gradual easing. Yeah, sure. Still, it says it was not immediately clear whether the protests have reached a meaningful scale, at least not yet, in a country of 1.4 billion people, or whether a wide demographic participated. <laughs> yeah, we're going to minimize it. And on that front, I have a couple of stories from the Daily Mail. One of them says sex bots are being used to curb Chinese COVID protests, porn accounts have flooded Twitter with racy escort ads and erotic photos, and a plot by Beijing, they say, to drown out any reports of the actual riots. In other words, the Chinese government is using porno to try to cover up the scale of the demonstrations. Searches performed on the socialist media network in Chinese for names of cities where anti-lockdown protests have erupted revealed untold numbers of erotic posts instead published by Chinese bot accounts. The story goes on to say that several major Chinese cities, including Shanghai and the capital of Beijing, have been rocked by protests over recent days. The numbers seem, folks, to be in the tens of thousands, if not even in the millions, according to some of those reports anyway. And researchers from Stanford University believe the porn-posting bot accounts are part of a Big Brother CCP government effort to scupper the spread of information on the socialist networks. Who can imagine such a thing? Continues the story. Many of these accounts were created literally years ago and had been lying dormant, having posted little to no content. But since those massive protests spread across the country over the weekend, the accounts suddenly began churning out thousands of posts filled with things that were intended to distract people from the real issue per day. 
The erotic images and videos included in the post, says the Daily Mail, are accompanied by the names of those cities to ensure that the distraction would turn up in searches for those seeking information concerning the demonstrations. Or I guess they could just go to America's own communist news networks. For example, CNN says, rare protests are now spreading across China. Here's what you need to know. Well, at least what they want you to know. They do seem to admit this, and it's as close as they come. Public fury has erupted after videos of the incident, that fire in Urumqi, appeared to show lockdown measures had delayed firefighters from reaching the victims. After the city had been under lockdown for more than 100 days, with residents unable to leave the region and many forced to stay home. Yes, there are thousands of protesters, they say, some of them even calling for the removal of Chinese leader Xi Jinping, who for nearly three years has overseen a strategy of mass testing, brute force lockdowns, enforced quarantine, and digital tracking that has come at a devastating human and economic cost. Only in China, though. No, nothing like that could ever happen here. Right, CNN? Not that they'd tell you anyway. And we'll be right back. Welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening. I am your host, Mark Hall. And let's kick this one off with another one of those, uh, well, signs of the time stories that tell you just how deep the fraud goes. This one comes from the Daily Wire about one of the cattle car airlines, JetBlue, which the headline says won't hire the unvaxxed. They only want pilots who are willing to drop dead in flight. But they did, in fact, hire a violent felon to fly their planes instead. And it has some of the JetBlue pilots, and guess what? They'd like to remain nameless for fear of their jobs. Outraged. Two of them told the Daily Wire that JetBlue hired a fellow named John Perrys, who served nine years in prison for breaking into the home of a judge and attacking his daughter as she left the shower. She was his former fiance, and he beat her up with a metal baton. Although he's been released from prison, he's now on felony probation until the year 2044, according to the Florida Department of Corrections. But evidently, he has his poison poke, because that's what seems to really matter to JetBlue. They hired him anyway. Said one pilot, speaking on the usual condition of anonymity, apparently JetBlue won't hire unvaccinated pilots, but they will hire violent convicted felons to fly their airplanes. Meanwhile, in the communist enclave of formerly free America, the big news over the weekend turned out to be not much news at all. Remember when Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, was a big deal and shoppers showed up en masse to celebrate what fiat money could buy with forced labor? Well, that was before the fake chickens came home to roost, or were still got executed in the name of the coming famine. Oh, yeah, and on that score, almost another two million chickens were slaughtered in Nebraska after so-called agriculture officials identified yet another bird flu outbreak, bringing the national total now to 50 million that have not been CCP'd in the continuing effort to force Americans to learn to eat bugs. Or, better still, just plain starve. And that, no doubt, has more than a little to do with the Black Friday bust. Writes Daisy Luther for the Organic Prepper, usually after the biggest shopping day of the year, I scout the Internet for a montage of shocking videos for her annual Black Friday Hall of Shame. But this year, there weren't even enough badly behaved people to make an article. 
Unfortunately, no, it's not because of a new era of civility. It's because nobody has the money to shop for Christmas. Or if they do, they're not trying to battle it out in person. And this is important because it solidifies, brings home what we in the prepper sphere and alternative media have said for years is coming. An economic collapse like we've never seen before. Sundance for the conservative treehouse put it this way. Citing first retail worker Jeremy Pritchett to a local Fox affiliate, crowds, I see nothing. I'm surprised, he said. Normally it's wrapped all the way around the building. Today, no one. And says Sundance, that's the typical ground report from areas all over the country. No one, literally almost no one is doing any holiday shopping, and the traditional Black Friday rush to get the deals and the discounts just didn't happen. Financial media are scratching their foreheads, puzzled, perplexed, with furrowed brows. And interestingly, almost every financial media outlet is using the same Retail Federation talking point about anticipating an 8% increase in holiday sales this year. Apparently, he says, pretenses must be maintained. Meanwhile, news and camera crews are having a really tough time finding any holiday shopping to use as background footage for the continuing claims that sales are strong anyway. Look over there. There's a person buying something. Oh, wait. No, that's just an employee dusting the empty cash register. As Reuters put it, there was, quote, no sense of urgency on Friday. No lines waiting to get into stores. Parking lots were uncharacteristically easy to navigate at shopping centers. And those few who did shop weren't just randomly grabbing things off the shelf because they were cheap. They were shopping strategically for things they'd already planned to purchase. But here, even the New York Times seems to be showing a bit more candor than we might have expected. Before the start of the season, they wrote, some shoppers were already cutting back on discretionary purchases, leaving retailers with an unusually high level of inventory. And they want to unload as much of that as possible before the start of the new year, said Kirsten Gall, president of the online platform Rakuten, which offers cashback deals. The more sales merchandise they can move through now, the better. Because if you get caught holding a lot of inventory in January and February, and consumers pull back because things feel significantly more recessionary, well, then that's where the worry comes in for retailers. And they have another problem, too, because deep discounts to increase sales can cause, uh, well, secondary knockoff effects. There are risks in buying more heavily on deals. The practice erodes profit margins, says the piece, that buoyed them during the pandemic when many Americans spent plenty on all kinds of goods and retailers didn't feel the need to entice them with too many deals. But there are also worries now that shoppers will become so accustomed to sales that they'll only buy when promised a lower price. And, of course, that, folks, is in the face of the coming hyperinflation. But it's not just retailers who are desperate to move inventory. Adobe expects that discounts will hit record highs, upwards of 32% or over a third this holiday season, as retailers contend with oversupply and softening consumer spending environments. Computers, electronics, and toys will hit all-time highs. Discounts for computers are expected to be as high as 32%, up from only 10% in 2021, while electronics discounts are set to hit 27%, up from 8%. And other discount categories will include toys, televisions, apparel, appliances, sporting goods, and furniture and bedding. And if you notice a common denominator there, folks, your host can't help but point out most of the items on that list are things people realize they really don't need if they're worried about just plain paying for food and surviving a cold winter. When you step back and look at all of that, though, the best comment I heard came from satire site The Babylon Bee, which said, hey, if they really want to attract crowds, all the stores need to do is put up a sign that says, Special Black Friday Deals. Prices rolled back to the very level they were before the Biden regime took over the White House. One or two more stories in from the economic front. Let's finish this one off quickly. The author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad 
Robert Kiyosaki said over the weekend, and not for the first time that he sounded a note of caution, folks, I believe the economy is in the biggest bubble in world history. Honestly, I don't think we can argue with that. And the small African nation of Ghana, says RT.com, has joined the rush to ditch the U.S. dollar. They're going to buy crude with gold instead of the U.S. currency, as Ghana's Vice President Mahamudu Bawumia revealed this week that the government wants oil exports to be paid in gold rather than U.S. dollars, explaining the plan as an attempt to protect the country's dwindling foreign currency reserves. And their gold for oil policy is expected to be implemented in the first quarter of 2023 to counter inflation caused by the depreciation of their national currency, the SEDAI, which has now lost more than half its value against an appreciating U.S. dollar in a high interest rate environment due to strong demand for the greenback from oil importers. And the story notes that even though Ghana is an oil-producing country, they still have to import products like gas and diesel because their only oil refinery has been offline since, uh, who could have imagined such a thing, folks? An explosion back in 2017. Here's another eyebrow raiser, or maybe not so much anymore, really, courtesy of Ethan Huff and Natural News. Buying the press, it says. The now-defunct massive cryptocurrency exchange fraud called FTX showered left-wing media outlets, things like Vox, The Intercept, and ProPublica, with stolen um, fiat investment cash. You think maybe they had an agenda to push? It's come to light, the piece begins, that yet another thing that disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, or the SBF, did with all that stolen investor cash, is to hand it over, literally, to the likes of ProPublica, Vox, The Intercept, and other far-left media outlets. The Law and Justice Journalism Project, guess I'd better insert sick after that, huh? along with the recently launched Semaphore Media Empire, were also on the dole of SBF and his crypto exchange scam, which, in case you missed it somehow, recently collapsed following the revelation that the Bankman fraudster and other crony executives stole pretty much all their investors' money. They literally took it all, said Human Events' Jack Posobiec about the various left-leaning media outlets that also took cash from SBF and FTX. And none of them, he said, managed to break the story. Semaphore, which was launched in October, is said to have raised 25 million bucks from investors like David Bradley of The Atlantic magazine and Jessica Less, founder of the technology website Information, while SBF, of course, also contributed to the launch of Semaphore. And that, says the post-millennial, was just a few short weeks before FTX collapsed. Customers, says the piece, made a run on the exchange to withdraw their deposits, only to find that the company didn't actually have it. FTX is now in Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings in the state of Delaware, and Semaphore is out a whole bunch of money. Others, like even Elon Musk, are pointing out that uh, what we're looking at here seems to be a lack of journalistic integrity. <laughs> Gee, do you think? Here's another one I'm going to call related. I'm going to throw in as much of this as I can stomach. This comes from the AmericanThinker.com, Monica Showalter, but also based on pieces from Fox and Zero Hedge. The mask is off, says the headline. WEF's Klaus Schwab has declared China. Oh, yeah, you knew it. For all its totalitarian successes, is a role model. This when he sat down with a Chinese, what else, state media outlet and proclaimed they were a role model for other nations, referring to their, quote, tremendous achievements in modernizing their economy and, of course, their tyranny over the last 40 years or so. Quote, I think it is a role model for many countries, said the world's foremost Nazi, before qualifying that each country should make its own decisions. Well, come on, who are they kidding? The decisions have already been made for them. 
I think we should be very careful in imposing systems, he said. But the Chinese model is certainly a very attractive model for a number of countries, unquote. And I think you get the picture, folks. Even when they're trying to tell you the truth, they're still lying through their damnable teeth. But one thing they can't hide, and that's the obvious and complete totalitarian intent here. And let's turn here next. In addition to the Biden Fuhrer's executive order about a Big Brother-controlled central bank digital currency, or CBDC, the World Bank is also currently in testing for a new non-U.S. ID card issued to each child, each child eventually in the world, through the World Bank. This is a piece from Steve Quayle's alerts from a school teacher who wants to remain anonymous and, of course, a redacted school district as well, who wrote that on Monday they began a pilot program for a track and trace of students on buses. They'll be given ID cards, which will be scanned as they enter the bus. Parents will then have the option of downloading an app to track the bus as it goes to and from the indoctrination center. There's no word if this will be done by the school itself as well, but you can probably guess, can't you? Also, I don't recall, says the teacher, seeing anything on your website about the various UN and World Bank programs like ID4D with the World Bank. But Quail provides the link, noting that the uh, 2021 ID4D and G2PX annual report has to do with COVID pandemic and the accelerated digitalization that it's enabled in ways that they admit were unimaginable just a couple of years ago. Isn't tyranny wonderful? And now they are highlighting the fundamental role that digital ID and government to person or G2P payment ecosystems can play. ID4D, by the way, sounds benign as the identification for development. But of course, the development is going to be in a direction that uh, free people aren't going to be real happy about once they figure it out. If you use the term Mark of the Beast, folks, instead of their acronyms, you'll get a more accurate picture. In helping, they say, a country to deliver services und social assistance to people rapidly, effectively, und responsibly, kind of like communist China. The role model has shown us how it's done. In 2021, the World Bank Group's Sister Initiatives Identification Project, again, that's ID40, and G2P payment system, or G2PX systems, marked the fifth anniversary of their multi-donor trust fund partnership platform. Yeah, another one of those evil public-private partnerships, which now includes G2PX. All right, lots of acronyms. Basically, the idea is we got lots of digital ways of monitoring everything you do, everywhere you go. And, of course, without our permission, you won't be allowed to buy or sell. From there, let's go to what may be America's most satanic, family-friendly corporation. And we're talking about Disney, of course. At one time, wrote Michael Snyder this week, one of the few entertainment giants that parents thought at least they could trust to produce family-friendly material suitable for children. But now that's completely changed. And at this point, Disney seems to be making headlines only because of the extremely alarming content that it's continuously putting out. This one comes from a new kiddie movie for the upcoming pagan holiday season that's been named The Santa Clauses, based on an old film called The Santa Claus, starring Tim Allen. And there's a new scene in the new movie where children hold up signs that oh so cleverly actually spell out the words, We love you, Satan. Says one of the critics here, Disney's new show for kids featuring We Love You, Satan, doesn't even try to hide their agenda anymore. Writes Michael Snyder, well, obviously it was done on purpose, but we're being told it was just a joke. But as he puts it, I'm not laughing, and neither are a whole bunch of other parents. But that's not all. There's another series for kids produced by Disney that most definitely is not a joke. It's called The Owl House, and it features a young girl named Luz that's pursuing her dream of becoming a witch. 
And of course, it's not lost on anybody that Luz means light in Spanish, obviously chosen to make a connection with the light bringer himself, their hero, you know the name, Lucifer. And apparently, this kitty series is all about teaching them how to be witches. Interestingly, and good riddance, after Disney's direct-to-consumer division has reported some $1.5 billion well-deserved in losses during a recent quarter, and the Gateway Pundit put it this way, many parents have canceled their Disney Plus subscription after Disney went on a woke brigade and reportedly even offered financial help to its employees' children who wanted to uh, cut off their genitalia and breasts in what's called gender reassignment surgery. It used to be called gender dysphoria, folks. It generally goes away when they grow up without being twisted first, but it's a far bigger problem now that Big Brother and his minions are pushing it, long before kids even learn what those body parts are for, much less why they might miss them. But as Snyder notes, the Satanists at Disney aren't alone when it comes to push and perversion. Days before Thanksgiving, says the Daily Mail, the fashion house Balenciaga triggered outrage with a 2022 holiday advertising campaign toying with one of the most depraved evils known to man, the sexual exploitation of children. And more and more just keeps coming out about this particularly disgusting company. Photos showcase little girls posing with handbags shaped like teddy bears. The bears were wearing bondage gear. In some pictures, the child models are standing on beds. One of the photos has the company name spelled Baal Enciaga, emphasizing the demonic nature of that name. In another, a sleepy-looking girl lies on a couch near wine glasses. And in another, a boy stands in a room strewn with toys and pictures, including bondage bears and a childlike drawing of a devil. They followed that up with a story about one of the photographers who specializes in uh, photographs that basically depict emasculated, no, castrated baby boys. And honestly, I didn't even read that one. Next, a thought-provoking piece from Martin Armstrong via the Burning Platform. It has to do with, of all things, volcano eruptions. Yeah, he says they're on the rise, and of course we've seen a lot of them lately. Most famously, Mauna Loa in Hawaii, the world's biggest volcano, is back erupting again after a uh, almost four-decade period of silence. But there's a lot more to it here. And while you won't hear about this on the so-called follow-the-science propaganda channels, you will hear about it from people that have any understanding of how the sun affects things here on Earth. Whether we're talking about climate, or in the case of us ham radio operators, radio wave propagation, or even, as it turns out, volcanism, volcanoes, and eruptions are definitely on the rise. Now let me pause here and note, folks, that my amateur radio background is a big part of the reason why I've never bought the BS of non-existent man-made global warming. Because essentially what those so-called computer models do is ignore important things that really do make a difference, like the sun. Do you think maybe that just might have some effect on Earth's climate? And if its output either increases or decreases, or even if its spectrum shifts, that might have dramatic effects? Well, not so much as you'd notice from the IPCC, or various politically correct, follow the bogus science websites. But the sun, as it turns out, does matter a whole lot. It matters for crops. It matters for climate. And yeah, as any ham radio operator can tell you, the 11-year sunspot cycle makes a really big difference on propagation worldwide on the various short wave bands. During the high part of the cycle, or so-called solar maximum, you can literally talk around the world on just a few watts. But at the other extreme of the cycle, those same ham bands will be utterly dead. And I started learning about all of that and being an active amateur radio operator since long before I could even drive a car. And one thing's for sure, when you see pseudoscientific BS being peddled, a little bit of understanding certainly helps you at least to ask the right questions. 
We're now in solar cycle 25, begins Martin, with peak sunspot activity expected a couple of years out, sometime in 2025. Solar cycle 24, which ended in December of 2019, was of average length, 11 years, which is why it's called the 11-year sunspot cycle. However, this one was the fourth smallest intensity since regular record-keeping began with solar cycle 1, that's where they started numbering, in 1755. And here we are, 25 11-year cycles later, we're still in solar minimum conditions at this time, but I will tell you that the long-distance hand bands, like 20 meters, 15 meters, and 10 meters, if you understand what those wavelengths mean, are really starting to see a major pickup. As I mentioned, folks, amateur radio operators follow the sunspot cycle with great interest because they really radically affect exactly which bands are open and how far you can talk on them. So just about any ham that uses the shortwave or high-frequency bands can generally tell you pretty closely what's happening with the sun. Continues Martin Armstrong, solar maximum is predicted to occur midway through this cycle, which may come as soon as November of 2024, but no later, they say, than March 2026. Probably the peak will happen sometime around mid-year or July 2025. Right now, the solar wave is conforming more to our model, though, says Martin Armstrong, who is truly a cycles and uh, cycle prediction expert, than that of NASA. The sun has become far more active than NASA had forecast or expected, and NASA's even, he says, beginning to worry that this solar cycle 25 could become the strongest cycle since record keeping began and that would truly be something to uh, write home about or talk on the shortwave radio about effectively says martin armstrong in terms of the technology of our model solar cycle 25 may even be what they call a panic cycle meaning we appear to be headed into the strongest cycle on record immediately following the weakest cycle on record and that's what you call major volatility and here he adds Since solar minimum may continue into 2024, that appears to be a very major turning point on what they call their global food index. And since most of their models on markets are showing panic cycles on that score in the 2027 to 2028 time frame, all the more reason to be paying attention. Although those effects seem to be more a result of war than of nature. I've warned, he says, that Socrates, and that's what he calls his computer program, which monitors everything around the world, noted a distinct correlation that more volcanoes erupt during solar minimum. And by the way, folks, Socrates is not alone. Hams have known about this increase in volcanism associated with the solar cycles for a whole lot longer than you're going to hear about it from the UN or the various man-made climate change propagandists. Gamma rays are a form of electromagnetic radiation, like radio waves, infrared radiation, UV radiation, X-rays, and so on. And he notes gamma ray bursts are certainly being studied by astronomers. He's also reported that correlation models show solar minimums correspond to increased volcanic activity. Volcanic winters, as they're called, take place during solar minimums, and it certainly seems that gamma rays may be part of the reason why volcanoes tend to erupt more during these periods. All of this reduces food production as well, increases disease, presumably because of a rise in malnutrition. However, since gamma rays are also used to treat cancer, there's at least a basis to warrant further investigation if the increase in gamma rays during solar minimum times impact certain susceptible people or those with particular DNA sequences or weaknesses. Says Armstrong, we often tend to ignore volcanoes, at least if they're not in our own backyard, but the deadly aspect of these volcanic eruptions is not just the loudness of the boom or lava that might burn people's houses up, but more particularly how much ash they throw into the upper atmosphere, which then blocks the sun. And this is where the term volcanic winter comes. And it's a little bit, if you've ever heard the term nuclear winter, like a similar effect. Crud in the upper atmosphere blocks the sun, and as a result, temperatures really, really drop.
And gee, think about what that would do to your so-called global warming. Anybody who's been to the beach on a cloudy day, he says, knows the effect. And as far as volcanoes blocking the sun, well, just check out the year 1816. It was called the year without a summer. Mount Tambora, he notes, erupted in 1816, and it threw so much ash into the air that it snowed during the summer in New York City. The River Thames in England stayed frozen all year long, and this massive, genuine level of global cooling and climate change altered weather conditions worldwide, resulting in a serious food shortage that set off a mass migration from New England to the Midwest within the USA, while people tried to find something, at least, that looked like the sun. Others saw it as an omen, and there was, he notes, a religious revival as well. Note, though, that almost one year has now passed since the Hungatonga Hung Hapai volcano erupted. That's V-E-I-5. And we're just now starting to realize this eruption was the biggest volcanic event in human history. And isn't it interesting that, once again, it took place during the weakest solar minimum on record? More significantly, says Armstrong, such a major explosion takes about a year before its true impact begins to be understood worldwide. Mauna Loa, like we mentioned at the top of the story, the largest volcano in the world, covers fully half of the big island of Hawaii. It's erupted 33 times since 1843, on average about every five and a half years, but it doesn't tend to be as violent as some others. And now, not only has Mauna Loa erupted for the first time in decades, but nearby Kilauea, also on the Big Island, is also erupting. And these kind of dual eruptions haven't been seen since 1984. And it brings to a close the longest quiet period in recorded history for Mauna Loa. Armstrong then goes on to cite a bunch of others, like Mount Edgecombe in Alaska that's been dormant for 800 years, but has been seeing some earthquakes of late. There was, of course, a Nat Krakatoa that erupted seven times within two days in August in Indonesia. Stromboli in Italy has erupted. There was Popocatépetl in Mexico in June, and another one in Russia. And there are lots of others people are watching as well. All of which, he says, suggests we may in fact witness a very significant rise in both the frequency of eruptions as well as their magnitude from this point on, heading into 2025. So let me say it again, folks. None of this is man-made. None of this has anything to do with your SUV or your carbon footprint or any of the other BS that Big Brother is trying to push down your throats and destroy your livelihood over. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. The big issue is that if we get more volcanoes and more ash into the atmosphere, the real concern is real global cooling. Certainly not man-made. A whole different kind of global climate change that will make things one heck of a lot colder and indeed even make the food scarcity a whole lot worse than the deliberate supply chain destruction and attempt to foist hyperinflation on the world already has. So let's get this straight. They lied about the Zyklon B injections. They lied about rigged elections. They certified all of that anyway. Do you think they just might be willing to let you freeze to death too? 